My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Cicely Bell Blaine. It's a truism that most important institutions incorporate into how they work their own versions of the relationships and practices that benefit some and harm others across the length and breadth of our social world. From the outside, or from a position of privilege within, it can be easy to lose sight of that reality when it comes to universities. It's easy to think that the islands of critical thought and action that years of hard struggle have won and preserved in some universities are much larger and more influential than they actually are, and it's also easy to miss how many post-secondary institutions reward, or at least strategically ignore, radical-sounding words just as long as they're kept carefully divorced from any action that might challenge the institutions in which they're housed. One axis upon which this is true in most North American universities is white supremacy, tightly intertwined, of course, with settler colonialism. It's all too common that racialized people, especially black people and indigenous people, are underrepresented in faculty and administrative positions, that their perspectives are underrepresented or completely absent from the syllabi of most courses and programs, that they face disproportionate barriers in gaining admission, and that as students, faculty, and staff, they face a range of barriers, hostilities, and even violences within the institution. Since the return to school in September, there has been an upsurge in organizing on campuses across the United States, and to a lesser extent in Canada, by black students in particular, and by those who support them. Triggered by powerful organizing at the University of Missouri in the face of intense systemic and direct racism, and happening very much in the context of the broader Black Lives Matter upsurge that is largely led by black youth, much of this wave of organizing has happened under slogans like Student Blackout and Black on Campus. Cicely Bell Blaine is a fourth-year student at the University of British Columbia. She knew that she wanted to organize something on the UBC campus to show solidarity with students in Missouri and elsewhere, and to challenge the pervasive systemic racism and anti-blackness on her own campus. She'd been involved in feminist and other social justice work in her time at UBC, but there'd been very little anti-racist organizing on the campus in that time. The population of black students at UBC is very small, so she and the people she raised the idea with decided to organize an event that would bring together a broad range of students of color and indigenous students, while keeping the specific experiences of racial violence and harm experienced by black students clearly visible. They organized an event that explicitly centered their own voices, bodies, and experiences through performance and conversation. The event culminated in an impromptu march through the campus and the presentation of demands for anti-racist organizational change to a representative of the university president. Blaine speaks with me about both the UBC and broader movement contexts, about the event, and about the kinds of changes that black students and other racialized and indigenous students need to see at University of British Columbia. We spoke by Skype from Vancouver. 
And just a quick apology in advance to listeners, there are a few spots in the interview where some bumps and scuffles made their way onto the recording. I did my best to edit around them, but a few still remain in the final version of the interview. My name is Cicely Bell Blaine. I am a fourth year student at UBC in Vancouver. I'm studying European studies and Russian, which is kind of very irrelevant to a lot of the organizing that I've been doing. So yeah, basically on the 27th of November, we had an event called UBC Students of Color in Solidarity. And pretty much nothing like that has happened at UBC, at least not in the time that I've been there. And so we really felt that it was important to have that kind of representation on campus and stand in solidarity with some of the stuff that's happening across the United States and across a lot of the campuses where they're experiencing racialized violence. So we we have a pretty small black population on campus. I would say it's possibly not even 1%. So that's why we try to encompass a bunch of other movements in there as well and make it a more general students of color, racialized students and indigenous students focused event. Originally, I'm from London and London is a lot more diverse than Vancouver, I would say. I grew up in a predominantly black community and so... Coming to Vancouver it was a bit different for me, and although in Vancouver I don't experience as much direct or explicit racial violence, there's still a lot of systemic and institutional racism that students of color are experiencing, so a lot of the work that I've been doing has been around that. Became very involved with feminist organizing at UBC. This is pretty much the first race or racialized organizing that I've done. I used to be in a group called the Equity Ambassadors, and the aim of that was to improve equality on campus and do a lot more social justice organizing. Last year, I started a project called Celebrating Women at UBC. It was a project that tried to show the diversity of women on campus and connect people to different resources. People could nominate women who they celebrated on campus and who they respect and appreciate, and then we would make a video or interview them and put them on our blog. That was in celebration of International Women's Day. And following on from that, in the second year, we developed the project into an actual event. So we had a panel of different women from across the campus come forward and then talk about their experiences being involved in feminism and how people can enact feminism in their everyday lives. And I was also part of UBC's alternative student press, which is called The Talon. And the point of that was to talk more about social justice issues on campus, bring to light some of the oppressive systems at work in the institution. And so I did a lot of online writing for the Talon, and I was also an editor on the collective last year. My first article was about student leadership on campus and how UBC has a tendency to pose its quote-unquote student leaders as the most accomplished types of students on campus, and I think that really ignores a lot of the invisible work that other students are doing. I've also written about unpacking reverse racism. So we have a column called Social Justice Synonyms, which gives people the opportunity to change their language because sometimes we use language that is offensive or oppressive, but we don't realize it. So this column was created by my friend Kay to offer people alternatives for their language. So yeah, I wrote an article about reverse racism and how using the term reverse racism actually perpetuates racism and racial discrimination.
I also recently wrote an article about how whiteness is very pervasive at UBC because most higher education institutions are founded upon whiteness, segregation, white supremacy, even slavery. And so a lot of those things are still embedded in the way that we learn at the university. I was speaking specifically about an instance where I found a skin whitening cream in a store on campus and how that is kind of like evidence of the ongoing erasure of people of color at the university. That particular article didn't get very good feedback in terms of like the comments that people wrote. A lot of people feel like racism at UBC is completely non-existent and that I was extrapolating on a non-existent issue. That's kind of the stuff that I've been involved in trying to bring more of a social justice awareness to campus and encourage inclusive and respectful learning on campus as well. And I guess my other biggest passion that I've been involved in is an organization called Camp Out, and that is a camp that brings queer and trans youth from across BC to attend a summer camp for a couple of days in July. And it's a really amazing environment and space for young people to learn more about leadership and social justice and to be able to provide queer and trans role models for youth, particularly for more rural areas of BC, where they don't have the same resources that we have in Vancouver. So it sounds like that article that you mentioned about the pervasive whiteness of UBC might be related to the event that you organized recently. Can you talk a little bit more about the different facets of that pervasive whiteness and what that looks like and what it means? Well, definitely the lack of professors of color has been a huge thing that I have noticed and a lot of professors at UBC who are racialized who were at at the event the other week came forward to speak about their experiences of being racialized professors and being underappreciated by the institution, having their work discredited or not being respected or their courses being taught by white professors instead of them and that kind of subtle erasure of professors of color and this kind of thing that students don't really notice and I only heard about these things after becoming more involved in this kind of activism and the kind of activism that involves faculty as well because we had a debrief meeting after our event and some of the racialized professors were discussing how professors are usually not there for students like a lot of professors don't really put themselves out there to support students particularly racialized students And there's very little evidence of the work of racialized people in course syllabi, for example, like especially a class I took this semester, even though it was from the Department of Gender, Race, Sexuality and Social Justice, it only had two writers of color on the syllabus and no indigenous writers. And particularly with indigenous communities, there's very rarely any acknowledgement or recognition of their work at UBC and particularly as UBC is built on unceded Musqueam land, there's very little celebration or acknowledgement of indigenous communities. And particularly like myself as an international student, it wasn't until the last couple of years that I've been here that I have even become aware of whose land this is on, whose land we're working and organizing on. And I would say most international students who come to UBC are not really provided with the resources to fully respect and acknowledge the land that the university is built on. Yeah, those are the main instances of erasure that I would say happen at UBC. Tell me about the broader context, meaning like the events in the United States and elsewhere that this event was responding to and fitting in with. The main instances, I would say, is what was happening at the University of Missouri. 
where students had been speaking out about the tuition fees and those particular protests had become particularly racialized and especially when students started to point out that many universities in the states were founded upon racial segregation and also slavery so a lot of universities for example are named after slave owners and slavery supporters and so on and so there was a big attempt across the US to try to undo those connections that the university had in order to make the universities more inclusive and then additionally there had been a lot of activism happening in South Africa for similar reasons tuition increases outsourcing basically meaning that staff at the universities were being underpaid and again that was very related to race because a lot of the underpaid workers were black and of lower classes and a lot of those protests led to violence against these students so a lot of people didn't really see a connection between those things and Vancouver because Vancouver seems very far removed from a lot of those instances of organizing like a lot of people describe UBC as a very apathetic university there's not much political or activist organizing and so i think it was important for us to try to draw connections between how a lot of universities were founded based on exclusivity and not including people of color and they were built for white students in the beginning to attend and so it's important to remember that and also undo that tell me about how the organizing for your event happened did it start in an already existing group on the campus it wasn't really based in any group there are a couple of groups who ended up helping us out but it was pretty much i just felt like it should happen and so i just messaged a bunch of friends who i know are involved more generally speaking in anti-racist work and i was like let's make this happen and so we did but then there's also a group called color connected at UBC which is a group for racialized students it was started many years ago but it's been like on and off so they're not really active at the moment but we were able to get some support from some of the people who are still in that group and then there's also Raga which is the center for race autobiography gender and age which is also a space for racialized students but that group also includes faculty and staff and so they were very instrumental in helping this organizing happen because we had decided that we really wanted to make this happen but we didn't really know how because as i said it was just like a bunch of students with no particular connection to any spaces or anything we didn't have a venue we didn't have any funding we didn't have much infrastructure so we kind of like let's just make an event on facebook and let people know that we want to make this happen and hopefully from there on support will come through and it did and as i mentioned this color connected group Hussein who is one of the people working there was able to secure a space in the student union building and also provide a bit of funding to buy some food for the event and so yeah from then on we had a lot of support coming through some alumni who own a sound tech company provide the microphones and lighting free of charge because they were in such support of the event i had a professor message me and she wanted to donate some money i wasn't really sure if it would happen or if it would be successful i had made the facebook event without even having a venue but i just knew that it had to happen and we would make it happen no matter what we were just very fortunate that there was such a big support for the event that things all came together and after attending the event we have now tried to bring everybody together to collaborate for future events like this 
And it had been my understanding that one of the important aspects of the context for a lot of this campus-based organizing has been the broader upsurge of Black Lives Matter organizing in a lot of cities. Had there been much Black Lives Matter organizing happening in the broader Vancouver community? Not really. There was one event, I think earlier this year, maybe last year, in general about community organizing and the connection to Black Lives Matter, but very much no. As I said, very small black population here. And I think a lot of what was spoken about at the event that we had here last week was how other racialized communities can also do their part in stopping anti-blackness, because especially within Canada, there's the idea of the model minority, and that usually relates to South Asian and Southeast Asian communities. And how those communities, although obviously there has been a lot of racial violence against South Asians, particularly post 9-11, and a lot of violence against East Asians, the workers that were brought to Canada to build railroads, and a lot of the violence that happened towards them. But in the present day, a lot of violence, particularly on campuses, is towards black bodies. And so a lot of the people who attended the event of Asian origin were saying how their communities can also play their part in supporting black lives. We're really trying to bring that focus to Vancouver and we're hoping to have more events that aren't just exclusive to UBC and include the wider Vancouver area. Because previously there was quite a thriving black population in downtown Vancouver in an area called Strathcona. And in fact, it's where Jimi Hendrix was raised. But after the building of the viaduct in the center of town, there was a high level of gentrification and those communities were completely erased and they moved out to the suburbs because the housing prices in the center were too high and their community had basically been wiped out by the new construction. So there is a history of erasure of black communities in this city and we definitely want to try to do more organizing around Black Lives Matter that encompasses the whole of this city. And maybe for the benefit of folks who haven't considered these questions before, talk a little bit more about some of the complexities that can be involved in drawing non-Black communities of color into solidarity with efforts to combat anti-Blackness. So, for example, one of my friends who was another main organizer in this event is Chinese, and she spoke a lot about the importance of solidarity within communities of color because at the end of the day, we're still all minorities in a white-dominated society. And so having that idea of solidarity is very important, especially in UBC, where there is a tendency to have ethnic and racial cliquing. And so to have that solidarity is really important. To have those different groups stand together is super important, and particularly in solidarity with indigenous movements as well, because even as racialized people, we're all here as settlers on the Coast Salish land, so it is really important for us to come together in solidarity and lift up indigenous voices as well, but also being cognizant of not playing like an oppression Olympics kind of thing. Tell me more about the event. The event was a celebration, a showcase of racialized students and people of color. We had 10 performers doing a variety of different things, spoken word, song, dance, people from all different backgrounds, but all racialized or indigenous. 
The purpose was to create a safe space where people of colour are the centre and are able to come together and support one another, stand in solidarity and enjoy that environment within the institution that is usually very white-dominated, that usually silences these voices. A lot of the performances were quite politicised and focused on reclaiming blackness, reclaiming brownness, even queerness as well, and the intersections between queerness and race. Then at the end of the event, we decided to go on a march around campus. We made signs that said things like Black Lives Matter, Brown is Beautiful, Stop Institutional Racism, and so on. And so we took a march through the center of campus. And then a couple of the professors that we were with actually suggested that we head up to the president's office to show that we want to be recognized and that racialized visibility is an important thing on campus. And so we marched up to the president's office and unfortunately she wasn't there, but we gave a message to one of her advisors and laid out a list of things that we felt like the university wasn't acknowledging. So how the university makes a lot of racialized students feel invisible and underrepresented and how the stuff that I mentioned about professors of color and how their work isn't respected and how courses don't teach the work of racialized writers and how the university fails to acknowledge and celebrate the land that it's built on, and so on. And so that was pretty spontaneous. It wasn't exactly what we'd planned, but I'm really glad that that ended up happening. The feedback that we got from the person at the president's office is that we should just write a letter, but we have done that, and usually it doesn't have the effect that we want. Going there and showing that we're very serious about the demands that we want was a very good start to some of the organizing that we hope to continue. So I know that the choice to center the voices and bodies and experiences of people of color can often result in hostility and resistance and anger. For example, one of the first Black Lives Matter actions in Toronto faced something like that. Did you experience any of that kind of resistance or anger or hostility? We did not have any problems at the event and not particularly relating to the event. But at the same time that we were planning, there was also this whole rise of the white student union thing that was happening across Canada and the US. All of these white student unions popping up at different institutions. And although it did turn out that some of these were hoaxes, the one at UBC received, I mean, I haven't checked lately, but last time I looked, over 600 likes. So that means at least 600 people at UBC do support the idea of a white students' union and fail to acknowledge its problematic nature. A lot of the comments that were written on the white students' union page and on Reddit and other places where this was being talked about was stuff like, you know, racism at UBC doesn't exist. You know, why do students of color want to feel so special? And why can't white people have their own club and all of this? So that completely fails to acknowledge how the history of UBC has erased people of color. And so now is the time when we're trying to reassert ourselves. We're trying to become visible again and be acknowledged by the institution and take space that centers racialized bodies in a place where whiteness is always centered. So I think a lot of people have misunderstood. And fortunately, none of this negativity arose at the event itself. But yeah, as I said, a lot of like the article that I wrote before and this whole white students union thing, a lot of people voicing the same rhetoric of like people of color need to stop complaining and people writing comments like people of color should be fortunate that they've got a place at UBC and blah, 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 blah. 
So there is definitely that sentiment, but fortunately in Vancouver we're not really facing it in as drastic ways as other parts of North America. And beyond those spaces of online hostility, what kinds of things did you hear more generally from other students in the lead-up to and aftermath of the event? Generally, very positive things, and I think the general sentiment is that this can't be the last time that we do something like this. Particularly from the staff members that I know have worked at UBC for 15, 20 years and have tried to do things like this in the past. And the problem is, particularly the burnout that comes with activism and comes with organizing, particularly as racialized people, is very hard to continue working on these things because it just seems like you're up against a wall. So there have been surges of racialized action at UBC, but they're hard to sustain. So we do hope that this time we can really set some solid foundations. Yeah, that's the kind of reactions that we've been getting. Generally very positive, generally in the vein that people want to keep this moving forward, particularly those faculty and staff members that have been here since the last time these kinds of actions happened. Has there been any official response yet to the concerns that you presented to the representative of the university president? Not as of yet. They want us to put all of our concerns down in the form of an official letter. And of course, we knew that they would say that. And that has been tried and tried again. And it's usually either not responded to or a kind of generic response is given. And particularly because of the sexual assault cases that are coming out of UBC and the Fifth Estate documentary that was just made about the sexual assaults in the history department. The person who we talked to at the president's office was kind of implying that these cases of sexual assaults are occupying the president's time so she doesn't have time to deal with issues of racism on campus. And what we were trying to say to him is that these things are very much intertwined and one is not more important than the other. There's also a very big race component to violence and gendered violence. And so it's kind of frustrating that their excuse for not responding to emails and letters about racism on campus is because they're dealing with this other more important issue, but actually they're very intrinsically linked. So moving forward, we will be drafting a statement, a list of demands. UBC did issue an official statement about the creation of the White Students' Union, saying that they're not in any way related to UBC, but... We would also like them to say more about how these kinds of groups don't have a place at UBC because they are founded on white supremacy and racial violence. So recognizing that it will obviously have to be the product of a collective conversation, where do you personally hope that this organizing goes in the new year? Hopefully in the new year we would be able to have another event like the one that we had because we organized this event in the space of about two weeks and so... It'd be really nice to have more time, make the event bigger and reach more people across campus. And also just have a kind of collective effort of organizing that includes a lot of the groups that I've mentioned. And that way we can have the combined resources and the combined passion and determination of a bunch of different groups and hopefully see more visibility and demonstrate to the university that we exist. You have been listening to my interview with Cicely Bell Blaine about recent anti-racist organizing at the University of British Columbia. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.